Welcome back to the Vet SOS Show brought to you by the Who You Know Network. Remember, don't drown the sea of transition. Grab the Vet SOS Lifeline. Mark, we got another great guest with us today, Dr. Gordon Sumner. He's here to, to share some great information about a great organization he's involved in, some of the things he's got going on. Uh, fantastic story. Uh, can't wait to get into this and, and learn more about it. As always, I'm here with my partner, Mark. Mark, how are you doing today? Hey, good morning, everybody. Thank you for uh, tuning in and showing up. We have some just serious knowledge bombs coming from uh, Dr. Sumner. Um, he's doing some great things, um, and I know very close to your heart, too, Sean, um, with, especially with your new puppy. So I can't wait to hear more. <laughs> Maybe I can get some tips and tricks out of this. Interview. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. We want to thank everybody for tuning in as always and thank those who've been pairing their channels with us. If you don't know how to pair your channels, please hit us up with hashtag pairing and we'll let you know how to put this out as original content over your own social media networks. All right. Without further ado, we'll get right into it. Uh, Dr. Gordon Sumner is a retired colonel in the U.S. Army and now serves as the president and CEO of Veterans Moving Forward, a nonprofit uh, providing service and emotional support dogs to veterans at no cost. Gordon is the founder of Gordon Sumner Consulting, a service-disabled veteran-owned small business and American Indian small business, um, which is fantastic. Such a pleasure to have you here with us today. Gordon, how's it going? Oh, thanks, guys. Really appreciate you having me on today. So Mark alluded to my new puppy. Uh, I have a two-year-old German Shepherd and a 10-week-old German Shepherd now, um, and, and they they decided that sleep is optional for me. They will let me know when I need to get up. Um, so it's definitely been an interesting challenge having that 10 week old around the house again. <laughs> oh, good for you. We, we just got a new puppy in uh, about a month ago or so, well, actually two months. And so, um, Smalls is about uh, now 11 or 12 weeks old. So yeah, yeah, she's a cutie and you're right. She'll keep you awake. They have their own, their own, uh, internal clock. Yeah, and just to make things more interesting, we got a white German Shepherd. So uh, he gets a bath almost daily because he decided that he loves to dig. And uh, oh, my goodness. Yeah, well, good luck. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, a distinguished career, obviously, in the military uh, and still doing great things. Uh, I always like to know, aside from, you know, the military service, and, and which is usually the driving factor behind a lot of people, um, why why are you involved in the veteran support community? Uh, what makes you keep uh, giving back to the community? Well, um, I've always been one that's been centered around volunteerism and service. That's just the way my family grew up over the centuries. Um, my grandfather, six back, was a Revolutionary War soldier. And since then, we've had a direct descendant in every major conflict that our nation has been involved in, up including myself and my daughter uh, is a major in the Air Force serving as a physician assistant with the Air Force Special Operations Group down at Fort Bragg right now. So it's, it's been an interesting history. Um, proud to say that since around 1940-41, right, right as the war started, uh, we've had a direct descendant of the Sumner Plan in uniform on active duty continuously to include my daughter now being being on active duty. So it's quite a few years. Um, so I guess um, having the opportunity to serve, I, I tell people just because I retired from the army doesn't mean I stopped caring about our military and their family. 
So, um, and as I alluded to before we went on the air, um, I just, it's one of those things I just, I enjoy doing. I, I love to uh, support people and especially our realtor and their families in whatever way that I can. And so, um, in fact, as you know, I'm leaving as soon as we end the show today, I'll be in the car headed to my local uh, military or the Purple Heart chapter uh, Saturday meeting. So we'll be headed that way. It's just another way that the families, uh, as I mentioned before we went on the air as well, the family joke is I'll be late for my own funeral because I'll be at some meeting of some kind like this. So here I am. Well, hats off to you and your family. That that continuous service is amazing. Uh, and love to see that the passion that the, the Sumter clan has for uh, protecting this nation. That That is amazing. Thank you. So, in the bio, we talk about not only being service-disabled veteran-owned small business, but American Indian small business and dragon Santee tribe. Is that correct? That's, that's correct. Santee. Um, it's, that's the predominant tribe. So that's the one that, that I have the card-carrying member of. I do have Eastern Cherokee in from my Sumner side. Uh, my great-great-grandmother was Cherokee in South Georgia. In fact, if you look by Sylvester, Georgia, you'll see the town of Sumner. And that's where my family's from. They originally landed here in the Alexandria, Virginia area, which is literally just down, down the road a ways from where I'm living here in Springfield, Virginia. But uh, then the family split into two. One went north. My family tree came south through the Carolinas into Georgia, settled there until the Civil War. And then uh, during the war, my great-great-grandfather was wounded just north of Kennesaw Mountain uh, during the Battle of uh, the Atlanta Campaign. So he hightailed it back, loaded up the wagons, and moved to the Panhandle of Florida, figuring he'd get ahead of Sherman and hopefully wouldn't be followed all the way down into Florida. And so we've been there uh, ever since uh, the 1860s. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great family history and uh, one that I'm very proud of. That's fantastic. Lo love the tie-in there. That is uh, really, really cool. Yeah, so the CT side comes from my mom's side. Um, she was uh, 100%, I'm sorry, she was 50% CNT from her dad. Uh, my great-grandfather was born there in Orangeburg, South Carolina, right next to Santee, South Carolina. So if, you, if you're ever traveling Interstate 95 into South Carolina, uh, Marion Lake right there at exit 98, that's the Santee area, and the burial mounds are there and all that. Yep. That's like right up the road. Okay, I'll have to check that out. So let's talk veterans moving forward. Yes, let's. Um, you're the uh, CEO and president, um, an organization giving, giving uh, service and emotional support dogs to veterans at no cost. The, first of all, amazing mission uh, and something that is, is much needed in our community, as most of us know. Um, so what made you get into that? Well, it was kind of a fluke, to be honest with you. I had I had just left the Obama administration where I was serving um, there in the in the Pentagon, and um, I had actually started with President Bush, and then Secretary Bill Gates, who was my big boss, asked me to stay on during the, the transition. So I did for about another year, um, and then as I stepped away, I had my I already started my consulting company. And I was looking to help veteran-owned businesses and nonprofits focused on, on veterans. So I was contacted by the two co-founders of Veterans Moving Forward, a retired Navy 
commander and a friend of hers, and they had this vision of providing service dogs to veterans without any particular caveat. Because up until that time, you could apply for service dogs to different organizations, but there was also, there was always a niche to most of them. So for example, you had to have been a 9-11 veteran, or you had to have been wounded in Afghanistan, or you had to have been a Marine. If you're an Army, you were, you're not gonna get a dog. But they wanted to do away with all that and just provide our services, our dogs, to any veteran that is dealing with mental and or social challenges at absolutely no cost to the veteran or their family. And so they had no idea how to get non, non, uh, nonprofit started. So they reached out to a mutual friend who said that he couldn't do it at the time. But as I understand it from Jay, Jay Garner, uh, Jay said, but I know somebody who just left the administration and he's probably not doing anything right now. So why don't you reach out and give Gordon a call, which they did. And they were right. And so I thought, great business opportunity here. But, you know, honestly, guys, I, I listened to what they were telling me and the passion. And within five, 10 minutes, I thought, you know, this is something that I'm looking for outside of our normal nonprofits that we veterans belong to, you know, the, the major veteran service organizations and things like that. I was looking for something else, some, some other single entity out there that I could really get behind again with the belief of still supporting our veterans and their families. So here, all of a sudden, laying in my lap is an organization that supports veterans, supports their families, and you got dogs. I mean, come on. So the only thing at the time they were saying that the top three marketing um, topics were veterans, babies, and puppies. So all I had to do was find a veteran for the baby, and I had the trifecta for fundraising. Uh, so I thought this should be really easy. So I helped them get it started. I served uh, for about five years or so uh, as a volunteer, served on the board. And then I was elected as a commander of our chapter 353, the greater uh, Washington, D.C. chapter for Purple Heart. And so I stepped away from BMF to focus on the chapter. because We had been a very robust chapter um, up until I left, because uh, when I was with the administration, I was basically living out of a suitcase. So I didn't get a chance to really participate with my American Legion post and Purple Heart chapters and all that stuff. So when I came back and discovered that it kind of gone downhill a little bit, I thought, hmm, I need to get this going back. So I really focused on the chapter for about uh, four years. I came out of that uh, command assignment. And again, back to, okay, so now what am I going to do? And that fall, some of the board members from BMF called and said that they wanted me to come back, but this time, full-time as the president and CEO, not as a volunteer. So I officially came back one October of 2019, just in time for the pandemic to, to loom around the corner. Um, I had, at the time, Lori Settner, who's our COO now, and Katie Paulson, who's our program director and head trainer. So it's just the three of us. Um, they were about ready to throw in the towel because uh, of the organization. But I said, look, give the, let's, let's do three months. Let's get to the end of the year, see what we can do. If you don't like it, I'll help, help you find a job. I'll write letters of recommendation for you because you feel stuck in there with me. It just wasn't meant to be. Well, I'm happy to say that here we are three years later. Uh, we're still there. We have a, a second trainer. Um, unlike those, what I call the dark days, where we were not providing service dogs, or relatively few, we've now placed over about a dozen dogs to uh, veterans nationwide. 
all branches and dealing with all types of challenges. Again, no cost to the veteran or their family. And these dogs run around forty dollars to $50,000 a dog by the time we get done with the two years of training. Uh, we're financially sound, probably better off financially than I can ever remember the organization being right now. Not a lot of money, but um, we're, so we're still doing, trying to do a lot of fundraising because we still have a lot of requirements out there. But, um, but I'm happy to say that we're, we're really in good shape and it looks like 2023 could be a, a really good year for us. I think, first of all, fantastic story, but Mark, I, I think Gordon just broke the first cardinal rule of a nonprofit and saying that they're, you know, good financially. You, you can't, you're not allowed to say that, Gordon. You, you always need money. Well, that's true. <laughs> we're hurting for money. Yeah, we're hurting for money. Well, um, so a couple questions I had. Um, first, I guess, is pretty easy. Um a variety of breeds, right? Probably. A variety of what? Of breeds. No, we all, working? we primarily work with Labrador retrievers. Labs, okay, perfect. And, um, and the reason is, we over the twelve years that we've been around, um, we have trained different ones. I mean, we've trained standard poodles, we've trained German shepherds, uh, we had a lot of golden retrievers, but for the last three or four years. With the type of veterans that we're getting in, the labs just, they, they're just a great fit for these veterans because they're strong, they're smart, they, uh, they're stout, because uh, we have a lot of veterans who need mobility uh, issues taken care of so we can put these harnesses on them and they, they're strong enough to help the veteran up and down and, and being able to walk easily. And we have really good relationships through our great trainer, Katie, with some really good breeders in the Northern Virginia and West Virginia area. So we kind of get the pick of the litter when, uh, when it's time where we can get, where we can get a, a new puppy. Gotcha. I had, so my follow-up question is, I know, you know, there's emotional support dogs, there's medically trained dogs, there's, you know, several different kind of categories as far as the trainings go. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a friend here, she's diabetic and she got a, a dog that can tell if her blood sugar is too low, mm-hmm. um, which is just amazing. So I guess, um, do you work kind of in many of those capacities or is there one kind of focus that you have? It sounds like maybe you support emotional yeah. support. Yeah. Ours are strictly service dogs. Okay. And what defines a service dog, if you look at the American Disabilities Act, which is what we, we go by. Um, is that these dogs are trained for a very specific task or task that a very specific individual, i.e. the veteran, needs help with. So if they're dealing with mental challenges, so they're having anxiety attacks, or they're having flashbacks, nightmares, uh, medicines, they have to take their medicines on a regular basis. Um, Those kind of things we train very specifically to combat um, to counteract those, uh, those issues that that veteran has. Uh, we have one veteran who we gave a dog to about three years ago who was a double amputee from Afghanistan. So he had not only some PTSD issues, rightly so, but he also had, obviously, mobility issues. So we had to train the dog how to walk correctly while he's in his wheelchair, how to get in and out of an elevator why he's in a wheelchair. But, you know, you're talking about space and you got a pretty good sized dog in there with him. How did, where does the dog go? Uh, you dropped something. So the dog is trained to pick things up for the, for the veteran. His cell phone, for example, or his keys or whatever. 
Um, he actually is still very athletic. He played football at West Point, and he still uh, is on the road a lot. And so we actually had to teach the dog how to ride in a kayak up and down the Shenandoah River because that's mm. what Greg likes to do is he likes to, to ride a kayak. So we told the dog how to do that. So that's what makes Ace a service dog, uh, not just a companion dog or whatever. So we provide the service dogs. We also provide what's called a facility dog. Well, a facility dog is like a service dog, except they're, and if you want to call it a problem, is that they have a hard time focusing on one individual because they're really gregarious. So they want to help everybody in the room, but they still train to the same standards of being able to provide the medicines, turn the lights on and off and, and combat emotional issues, provide comfort, the sit commands, the pressure commands on somebody's chest if they're like doing this number, if, if a veteran starts to twitch or something, how to get them to stop, things like that. And what we do with the facility dog is we find a veteran primarily that is working in a mental health clinic, a VA clinic, um, some kind of uh, mental health area. And we assign that dog to the veteran. So the veteran still gets a, a companion dog, but then they take this dog with them to work every day. So now this dog is not only helping a single individual and their family and community, they're helping literally hundreds of people coming through that clinic on a daily basis. Awesome. Yeah, that, yeah, that's really awesome. cool. So you said it takes two years. Correct. All right. So how many dogs do you have training at, at, at a time? Right now we have eight at the training center, and that's all I can have. Um, I'm in a facility that, honestly, guys, I don't know why we're there. It's, it was done during that, that period while I was not at Veterans Moving Forward. We're in an industrial park place there by the north side of the Dulles International Airfield, right outside Washington, D.C. When the planes land towards the south on the runway, they're so low, we can literally stand outside and wave at the passengers as, they, as they're flying in. Oh, wow. Uh, so it's not, not good to have veterans out there, especially if they're yeah. trying to deal with some PTSD and you got these jets flying over. Um, it has no back door. There's no grass area that I can train the dogs on. I don't even have a space that I can just fence and let the dogs lay outside the sun and relax when they're they're not in their training. So, um, as I said, I've, I've got eight right now. That's all the room I've got with two trainers. I've got 52 veterans on a wait list. Mm. So that's why, to me, my big ask, my big um, charge to the listeners is I need help in raising a significant amount of money because we need a new training center uh, so we can get more dogs, hire a couple more trainers, and start providing 10 to 12 dogs a year at least, maybe 15 dogs a year, not three or four. So we can knock down these, uh, this wait list. And I can't do it without money, a lot of money. Yeah, that's I I the way you describe your training facility, I, I kind of have to question the, the the same thing. It's like that doesn't make any sense to me. But um so the, the next question I have, and we'll talk briefly here before we get off about you know, hopefully, you know, helping you guys financially and getting the, the audience to to get behind this cause because it's an amazing cause. Um So you have the dog. You have eight dogs right now. You have a wait list. Yeah, different stages. Mm -hmm. Right. It takes two years. So is there a point in their training where you, okay, now we need to figure out who this dog's going to mm -hmm. and then change the specialized training? 
Right. So what happens is all the dogs go through pretty much the same year, 12, 14 months of training. Because they're all obedience trained. They all, they all pass their AKC, canine good citizenship uh, certification. And by the way, that's done outside of us. So we bring in independent trainers, independent evaluators to, to do the evaluation. So it's not just us saying we've got a good dog. We've got certified board certified trainers to come in and do evaluations. So now it's an outside body saying, yes, these dogs are trained. But we make sure that we cover that base. And what happens is our uh, Katie and Linnea, they they know what these dogs start to what, what they're really starting to be good at. Um, and their their body build and basically their size. I mean, some of these dogs you think they're gonna be big, they end up being about 50 or 60 pounds, others are ended up being like 80 pounds. Um, so we start to look, and then we look at the veterans. The veterans are vetted through a medical review board. That's one thing that, again, makes us different, is instead of a veteran just saying, hey, I want a dog, and they come in and they think it's you know, Walmart or Kmart, they just come in and you know, pick a dog <laughs> off the shelf. Uh, they actually go through a very, um, very uh, in-depth evaluation. And on our medical review board, we have board certified psychiatrists, a psychologist, I have a PhD, that works at Walter Reed uh, National Military Medical Center in Human Behavior. I've had former Secretary of the VA on the board who still offers uh, advice in council sometimes. Uh, we have veterans, I have nurses, EMTs. So we have a whole group that sits there and evaluates these applicants as they come through. And it works out well because a lot of the veterans, even though we tell them, just be honest with us, there, there's no stigma I mean, if you've got some mental issues, that's that's great. We want to help those, but you have to tell us. And they still don't. But what they do is they list their medicines. And the medicines give it away because I've got experts who go, oh, look, Gordon's taking this. That's what they give for somebody who's dealing with nightmares or something. So that's how we find out. And we go back and talk. We're like, yeah, 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 you're right. Uh, we because the only requirement of the veteran on our part is that they have been served honorably. And we get that from their uh, DD-214. And then they also have to have written documentation from their primary care provider. And if they're under mental health, their mental health primary care provider, that they too support the veterans' efforts to gain a, gain a service dog. That's it. That's the only requirement. So through that. And then as the dogs are getting to around that uh, 18 month mark, that's where we start to, to match with the veteran that Katie thinks their needs, the dog's capabilities might make a good match. And so we bring them in just a little bit at a time just to see if the dog, one, is going to like the veteran because the dogs get a vote. And if they don't like you, they may look at Sean and go, nope, not going to do it. Mark comes walking in. It's like, yep, there's my new best friend. Yeah. Uh, happen all the time. But uh, it has happened over 12 years where the dog just looks and turns around and walks off. We've actually had a case where we had a veteran whose his dog was aging out. He was 12 years old. So still a very young veteran who needed a service dog. We had a dog that was really ready to be placed, but we just couldn't find the right veteran to place him with. And so in comes D one day just to visit. The dog sees him goes over to him, and the next thing we know, he's giving the commands and everything, and Katie looked at him and said, I think we just found 
Harry's dog, uh, Harry's uh, battle buddy. So the dog picked him, and now they're doing great living in California. So. And so that's how it works. Just a little bit at a time, a little bit longer, a few more hours, an overnight, a weekend, a week, until right towards the end, they spend two to three weeks every day uh, with the dog. But the, you'd be surprised how many of these veterans have never had a pet. So we have to teach them how to take care of the dog. They get grooming lessons. We teach them how to trim toenails, how to get a bath, the whole thing. That's that's an amazing process. I mean, because you, you got your standard training. And by the way, my puppies would fail the good citizen training. Um, <laughs> they, they'd be kicked out of class. Um, but what I loved what you said is the trainer starts to identify certain things about the dog and where they think the good fit would be and that your trainers are that honed into it. Um, I think that is amazing. And, and that's probably a big factor in, in how successful you guys have been. Yeah, it is because it's a very meticulous process. It's not just a grab a dog, grab a veteran, put them together and hope for the best. Because unless you're a chaplain, hope is never a course of action. <laughs> so what we want to do is make sure that what we do is, is got a pretty high percentage of success because again we're dealing with these individuals lives and the effect that we're going to have on the family and as I mentioned earlier it's not just that it's the community as well because these individuals now are getting out they're getting out of their homes they're getting back into school back in the work environment going to the grocery store buying gas paying taxes um, they're starting now to be out and about in their communities which is what we want well, I know, I, I I know, I mean, look, there's so many applications that this is, you know, just a great fit for. Um, but like you had mentioned earlier, this is, this is not going to happen without funding, right? That's right. And we got to get, we got to get the word out, right? Because all of and there's, you know, I think regionally there's around the country, probably several organizations that are, you know, similar that do similar things. Y'all need funding, right? So the best way, right, to help is 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 if you're not going to give your time, you're going to give your treasure. So let's get some treasure over to Gordon to you know veterans moving forward. I mean, I'm going to call it out right now. Like, let's get this, share this episode out with your network. Let's see if we can find somebody who's can who can help them with some space. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wouldn't that be awesome if we could find a corporate sponsor or something that's willing to donate some space? Yeah, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll tell you, Mark, what we're looking at um, is we're, we're looking at some property that we'd like to find out in western Loudoun County, Clark County, um, Virginia, maybe even Jefferson County, West Virginia, kind of in that neck of the woods. We need about five acres, 10 to be perfect. And we're looking to build a six to 8,000 foot training uh, facility so we can have all the stuff that we need in one one building with the back area that we can have the obstacles, we can have the terrain, we can have places that the veterans can go out and relax when they're not doing their training. We can have like a meditation area, a garden area, things like that. We also are looking to have a, either an upstairs facility that'll have five bedrooms with bathrooms so that we can put the veterans and their caregivers or their spouse up there with a kitchenette and a living room so that they can stay there during their training. We're not having them in a hotel next to an airport like Dulles, uh, <laughs> and, which is a very expensive 
proposition, especially when you're thinking you're going to spend a hotel night for um, you know two or three weeks, not counting all the other visits. We can put them there, and then there's things that they can do when they're not training. They'll have opportunities to go uh, fishing. They can go hiking. They can go into town. They can visit some Civil War battlefields. You know, they can because they need a break. The dogs need a break. So we want to have that bedroom environment as well. So just off the top of my head, I'm, we're probably looking, um, I've got an architect right now working on the concept drawings and 3D rendering. We should have that done by the first of March. And uh, even she was saying it's probably gonna run with the cost of material, it's about 5,000 or 5 million to buy the property, build it out and, and you know, furnish it and everything. So yes, corporate, a corporate sponsor would be great. We would name it after the corporate sponsor uh, if they had an individual that worked for them, a veteran that was killed in combat, and they wanted to name it in their memory and honor, it would be the Sergeant Snodgrass um, you know, Training Center. Another idea is because we're going to have different areas, they could we could bring in a lot of people. So you could have like a corporate do the building. So the building would be named after them. The property would, could be named after somebody else. The living quarters could be named after another sponsor of the lesser amount. Individual rooms, like just like on a college campus when you do a capital campaign and they're building uh, like a music department, the practice rooms are, are sponsored by somebody. The piano lab is sponsored by somebody. The performance center is sponsored by somebody. Inside the performance center, donors pay 300 bucks and they have a little plate put on the back of their chairs so every time you sit there in performance, you look in front and you see that chair in front of you was donated by Sergeant Snodgrass or somebody. So we would so we would entertain that. Uh, but we, we've got to get this going because, like I said, time's, time's marching. These veterans need help. Um, the wait list is not going down. In fact, it's almost doubled now in the last six months. So, um, yeah, I, I had just done a briefing literally three weeks ago, and I told them we had 41 veterans on a wait list. We did another update last week, and I was with my uh, my trainer, and she mentioned, somebody said, well, how many have gotten? She said, well, I'm now up to 52. Hmm. So we, we've got to get the funding. We've got to get people to contact us. If they want me to come out and meet them, I'll go anywhere to talk to anybody at any time. Maybe you said it and I missed it. With this new facility, how many dogs are you hoping to be able to um, manage at a time? We're looking to have 25 to 30 dogs at a time. Okay. Wow. Because like wow. you know, part of the funding, we'd get two more trainers. We could have 25 to 30 dogs at a time because we'd have the kennels and all right there. So the dogs would stay there. Right now, we, we can't keep the dogs at night. We can't do anything on the weekends. So we rely on puppy raisers. So they're like foster parents. So they... They have the dogs for the two years, but they keep them at home, and then they drop the kids off to school Monday through Friday, and then they pick them up after 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 classes and go home with them. And supposed mm -hmm. to do homework, you know, still help them train the dogs. But we could get rid of that, and then um, if when we get a call from a from a um, breeder that says, "Hey, we got a puppy, would you like one?" I could say yes because I don't have to worry about puppy raising. If I got a space, I can put the puppy in. Because as soon as I sit there right right now, and they say, "Hey, we got puppies coming. Do you have one?" I, and I and I say no. What that means is I've just told a veteran that they're not going to get a dog in a couple years. Somebody out there, I just I just said you're you're not going to get our support. 
that's what just keeps me up at night. Yeah. Saying no. That's, and I, the more you tell me about the facility and now you, the dogs don't even get to stay there. They get to go home with, you know, a adopted family essentially for two years. Um, yeah, we, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta get this fixed. You guys are doing amazing things. Um, and, and the fact that you have that much of a wait list speaks to the caliber of your training too. I think that yes. people know your organization yeah. and they want a support dog from you. Yeah, and we get a lot of volunteer support. Like I said, there's only the four of us, so we still run it like a business. So everything that we need done is done by volunteers. To the point of last year, over 50 volunteers logged over 15,500 hours in our volunteer portal. So I know they did more than that because they they don't log everything. So I know know we did, but we have on file in the system over 15,500 volunteer hours. So that tells me we're doing something right. If you got that many volunteers doing stuff like right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we're coming down to the end uh, here, Gordon. And uh, I don't know, while you, while you were telling us your plans for this new facility, the one thing that popped in my mind is how hopefully our audience, like Mark said, will will share this this episode out to you know, keep spreading the word on this and hopefully we can, we can help you make an impact and, and bring in the funds. And ultimately what I see is that we're showing up to do a live podcast at the ribbon cutting. That's what I think is going to happen because we're going to, we're going to be able to help you um, hopefully get the word out more here. Um, I love what you're doing. Speak the, it into existence, Sean, speak yeah. it into existence. There you go. Uh, you got an amazing process. Um just listening to how you guys do it and everything. And then the fact that you got this long wait list because people want your dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's something we have to do, you know, it's an amazing cause and our veterans need it. So hopefully, you know, you're, you're watching this and it's tugging on the heartstrings like it is for Mark and I, and you're like, you know what? I got to tell more people about this. So spread the word, pair your channels, get this out there and let's, let's help uh, Gordon and his organization here. Um, get the funding they need to be up and running. Well, we appreciate it. You can go to our website and read some of our veteran stories about how we're helping to save their lives and their uh, their testimonies. I mean, some of them were tear jerkers. And over the 12 years, I mean, I could share some stories and have everybody smiling and crying at the same time. That's uh, what we've done. It's In our logo this year um, is that what we're doing at BMF is we're providing these veterans a new leash on life. And it's absolutely true. Love that. Absolutely love that. Boom. So if you're watching this, veterans moving forward, you definitely got to spread the word, help us spread the word, get get more people involved here. They need some support. Um, What's the best way, Gordon, for people to um, get in contact with you, reach out to you? If you go to our website at www.betsfwd.org. That's forward.org. You can Google Veterans Moving Forward. Also, check us out on Facebook. I tell people, if you want to know what we're all about, go to the website. If you want to see the fun stuff, go to Facebook. And that's where we have the doggy postings and training videos and things like that. But go to our website. There's ways that you can donate from there. Uh, You can become a monthly sustaining donor, which would be fantastic. Uh, at a selected amount, just do it one and done. And then we have a constant 
uh, feed of, of funds coming in. And then you can also go to uh, how to contact us is there. And that contact will come to me and then I can reach back out with my, uh, my, my uh, email. My email itself is the same thing as the website. It's just initial and last name. So it's gsumner at vetsforward.org. That's my email. Uh, then uh, reach out, how to make a donation. Again, on the website, you can also uh, do it the old fashioned way, write checks and mail them. The address is uh, there on the website as well. And then uh, last but not least, uh, like I said, become a monthly donor. Become what I call a true believer in our mission and have those sustaining dollars come in. But we could really use the use quite a bit of funds coming in that way too. It'll help Lori sleep at night knowing that we've got enough coming in every month to cover our, our monthly operations, that's for sure. Yeah, those those one time donations are nice, but yeah, the, it's those ongoing you know automated donations. I I think that are really important for an organization like yours to be able to budget and forecast yeah. and plan. I mean, if you think about it, I believe in the power of small numbers. So if you had a thousand people donating a hundred dollars a month, we'd be golden right now. And then we can use that to really launch into the capital campaign for the new training center. So out of all of your listeners. And then those friends are friends of your listeners. Consider doing that. Consider going online to our website, donations, click that $100, fill in the information, one and done, and we get 1,000 people to do that. Uh, it'll be by the, end of, by the end of January. I mean, that'll be a great birthday gift for me this month. That, that's for sure. Game changing. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Mark, do you have any uh, closing comments? No, thank you um, for what you're doing, Dr. Sumner. Thank you for, you know, being part of the, you know, military order of the Purple Heart and all the things that you're doing uh, with veterans and, you know, your community. Appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. Gordon, it's been an absolute pleasure. You got a great mission. Um, can't wait to see this um, training facility come come to existence. Um the, the impact that that'll make on a community. If you have 25 dogs in circulation at, at any given point, you're going to make a huge uh, dent in, in, in helping our, our veteran community, which is just going to be so amazing. Uh, we definitely want to thank you for coming on and, and challenge the listeners. Like we said, to, to spread the word on this, but let's help them out. Let's, you know, if you have a little extra money that you can donate, you know, consider this organization, they're doing amazing things. They got a great program and systems in place. Uh, and they're, they're going to make a huge difference. So it's well worth it. Um, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Vet SOS podcast. And remember, don't drown to see a transition. Grab the Vet SOS Lifeline. 